Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Happy Mother's Day. Again, fun reflection on my part. Treasures over there. Uh, Scott and Laura will be in in the next service. Treasures again. Um, again, this is this is supposed to be Mother's Day. So, mom sitting back there. Uh, you, you had you had son and daughter uh, in worship. So, this is kind of a this is a very family friendly day for for me personally. And then to see all of you here, uh, we could have had a service just in your honor. Uh, representing Peter and Savannah. Family, 39 years ago on Mother's Day, uh, there was a mom sitting in the sanctuary, not here, but in Illyria, Ohio. And, you know, way back, uh, Mother's Day probably took half the, half the service as we talk about mothers. And you usually would start with something like, who was the first mother? And somebody would raise their hand. Who is the newest mother? And then you'd get all the way back. Who is the who has the most grandchildren? Or you might you might ask, who is a great 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 grandmother? And you'd have somebody in the in the church that day who was there. And sometimes there'd be flowers, or you'd have some some act of of remembrance. Well, my mom was sitting in that in that Mother's Day. And they asked, who is the newest grandma? And my son had just died. And she sat there in that tension. Because yes, she was the newest grandmother. But he had gone already to heaven. And so she's living in this tension of the moment. And all she could do is sit there in the middle of the service and continue to, to, to cry and weep because she couldn't, she couldn't with good conscience raise her hand, and yet that was the moment that she was living in. And all of that to say this, we're about to go into a psalm that doesn't fit Mother's Day. All right? And, and you have to understand, there are days on the calendar that are supposed to be good, and they're not. There's something far different. They're the first Thanksgiving after your husband died. They're the, they're the first Christmas after your, your child drowned in a swimming pool. They, they, they just should be happy days, but they're, they're not happy days. And Psalms 6 this morning is that psalm. It is when life is tragic and the moment so horrific in your life, you can't see God, you can't hear from God, you can't find your bearings, and you question whether His power and His love to you is real. Family, this is a painful 
psalm for the brokenhearted. This is the moment three months into chemotherapy when the man and woman is debating whether this is really worth it. This is minutes into the moment when you just lost someone of significance and you're wondering if you can even take your next breath, let alone wonder if you've got it in you, if you've got the stamina to make it through whatever the rest of life is going to look like. But it also could be that, let's call it three seconds in, as you stare into the eyes of someone that you love with all of the passion of your life, and you're confessing a sin that's so horrific, the other one look, is looking back at you completely aghast that you're sharing it. Psalm 6. This is not an easy psalm. Family, this is called the first of six penitent psalms. The rest of the psalms, we'll see one in a couple of weeks, but we'll, we'll recognize today, this is called a penitent psalm. And the scholars of the past have identified it this way because they thought that David was saying and asking and seeking repentance from God for something, for some sin. The problem is, as we, we continue to look at it, there's nothing in here that would identify a sin and he asks for no forgiveness. And so this is a powerful, powerful psalm. So in the end, we can't be for certain what it's written about. We don't know anything about its history. We only have this little statement at the very top. It says, to the choir master with stringed instruments according to the Sheminith. Now, the Sheminith is either an instrument that we know nothing about or it sets the tone for the song. In other words, the lyrics are quite tragic and they want the music to reflect that tragic thought process. So, whatever it is, in fairness, we know nothing about it. But the one thing we do know is the lyrics were penned with the Holy Spirit's leadership as he helped David shape his mind on this painful experience. And so on one level, it's a prayer. And before we ever go into it, I want to give you some preface. I want you to look at this material in such a way that when we come to the Psalms, you can, you can see the prayer, number one, and then I'm hoping that later you can glean from the prayer ways to make your own prayer significant. And so, let me just simply call them insights about prayer. From verses 1 and verses 2, I want you to see 
that you and I need to desire God's discipline. Family, He is treating you in the loving expression of a father with the intent of equipping you in holiness. When I was a little kid, I had to go to the doctor. I there sat in the, in the doctor's table, and he was about to do something to me that, that he could not in any way anesthetize. He could not take the pain away. It was just going to have to tough it out. And I'm a little kid. I went in there with my father, and I remember the day graphically. And he grabbed me and surrounded my face with his monstrous hands and said, watch me, watch me, look at me, look at me. He then grabbed my hand. Now, my dad wears a number 12 pinky ring. All right? Big hands. I want you to, to know today he crushed my hand. My hand hurt worse. I don't remember what the doctor did. I have no clue. I do know what he did. He cut something off my foot. I don't remember. The pain in my hand was excruciating. But my father, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. When you and I are going through a hurt and you can't feel God, you have no clue. Continue to trust that God's discipline is moving you in such a way that He is shaping your holiness for the future. And though the pain may be overwhelming, and you may not feel that your prayers are rising higher than the ceiling itself, wait on God's disciplining hand and seek it, not its removal, because God's shaping you. All right? Principle number one, you're going to see in verse one and two. Principle number two, I want you to see in verses three, six, and seven. Hold steady. Hold steady. When you can't feel, when you can't hear, and you can't trust, hold steady. Job gives us, Job chapter 2, in verses 7 through 10. You, many of you know the story of Job. Job is going through a time where God is ultimately proving and verifying the godliness of Job, but he's doing so by allowing Satan to destroy him financially, to draw, destroy his family, and now he's about ready to destroy him physically. And with that, listen, as I begin in verse 7, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his head to the crown of his head, or excuse me, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said, 
you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall, or, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So David's going to say in a moment, in verse 3, how long? How long? When you see verses 6 and 7, he's going to, t- to tell us that he has flooded his bed with tears, that his eyes burn from grieving, but he is still seeking God's answers. Hold on. When you go through tough times, just wait and know that God's listening. The third idea I, wanna, I want you to understand, or the third insight we're going to see in verses 4 and 5. Remember your relationship with Christ. Now family, on one level you understand we're in the Psalms. This is a thousand years before Jesus. But you're in a relationship with Christ, and its strength is found in Paul. Um, your, its strength is found in Hebrews when it says, I will never leave you or forsake you. David could say, here, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. He recognized that he was in a covenant relationship as a God follower to God on high, and he knew that the promises he gave him, David had accepted by faith and by grace, and that process of salvation that we know in completion in Jesus Christ was his very center. And I want to simply remind you today, you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has made promises to his followers that are based and founded in a divine connection. If he lets you down, he is not consistent with his promises. So that being the case, remember that relationship in your holding on. And let's let's look at a fourth key insight. We're going to see it in verses 8 through 10. Have confidence in God. Now understand, he has an end game. I can't say that you and I will always like the end game. But it will be for his glory and our good. In in, In the year 250 A.D., Decius the emperor of Rome at the time, became convinced that Christianity was becoming too popular within the Roman Empire. And family, in in fairness to the Christian community, persecution up to that point had been sporadic. We we know that Paul was was martyred by by Nero. We know pockets of persecution have gone on. But... It hadn't, been a, it hadn't been an empire-wide strategy until Decius. And he came up with a strategy that simply said this, first we'll attack the leadership. And if the leadership won't recant, we'll imprison them or kill them. Secondly, 
We will force the congregation, the church family, to offer sacrifice to pagan gods. And if they don't, we'll banish them or imprison them. And so his strategy was met out. But what we found is, is it turned out to strengthen the church. And they ended up abandoning the idea of persecution because it gave individuals within the church a strategic confidence in God. And though you have to understand individually, none of those who received the hurtful hand of martyrdom would have ever said, that's exactly how I wanted it to come out. When they have a chance to look at history, they recognize God was glorified and God used them for His good and His honor. And none in eternity would ever say that they would wish to have anything different. So though you and I don't want to see it turn out the way it was going to turn out, you and I don't know. I want you to see in David, he is confident in the God who is providing the answer. So family, now with those four insights, let's, let's enter into the psalm. For some of you, it will be like traveling a road map, I believe, this morning, on how God took you through a personal train wreck. But for most of us, I want you to pay attention. God gives the painful psalm so that when we journey in this crushing experience, we already know the strategy God wants us to take. So if you will, we're going to break them apart into their three verses. And so in verses 1 through 3, we find that David will present the idea that what he's experiencing, he is overwhelmed. So follow along as we read Psalm 6. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Family, isn't it fair from time to time when we go through any hard experience, we wonder, how do I know whether my experience is the consequence of living in the fallen world? In other words, it's just, it's just something that happened. Or, is what happening to me the personal action of a God who's disciplining the son or daughter he loves. Have you ever asked that question as you've gone through? I know I have. I want to suggest to you a better way of looking at the moment. I believe that too much soul searching into something in the past that we know nothing about does not help us very often. So I want to suggest to you another way of looking at the very same moment. What will God do in me through this? How will God get His glory in this. And rather than see, seeking it as 
have I been a good boy or not? Ask yourself, what will God do in me? And how will He bring glory to Himself in this? And the reason I suggest to that is, in the Old Testament, any of the teaching about discipline emphasizes education. God's goal is to make us better. God's love for His people is grounded in His promises. Discipline is not the issue. but what is learned from the experience. I want you to listen to Deuteronomy chapter 11 this morning, verses 2 through 7. And those of you who are aware of that experience in Israel when you know what happened as the early days of Moses and the plagues of Egypt, and then the Red Sea, the 40 years of wilderness wanderings, and then finally at the very entrance, as you're just about ready to cross into Jericho. Those of you who know your Bibles, I want you to pay attention and listen to the history. Beginning in verse 2, it says, And consider today, since I'm not speaking to your children who have not known or seen, consider the discipline of the Lord, the God, your God, His greatness, His mighty hand, and His outstretched arm. His signs and deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land. Family, were any of the plagues in any way a discipline to Israel? Continue to nod every once in a while. All right, Got masks on. I'd love to know you're connecting. All right, stay awake. Stay awake. And what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses, to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after, after you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. Was there any punishment to the nation of Israel when he opened the Red Sea? None whatsoever. And what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, Family, what he's making reference to is all of the 40 years wilderness wanderings. There were moments of punishment. But there were moments of incredible conquest. He says to this moment, one of the greatest things that we don't recognize is he, he destroyed two kingdoms. The kingdoms of Sihon and Og. Og, if you will, was a precursor of Goliath. Og had a bed, 14 foot, 13 foot 5, all right, big boy. God defeated these two countries. They had nothing to do with the punishment of Israel. They actually were for the benefit and creating the scene by which they would enter the promised land. So there was discipline and there was blessing. Then finally he says, and what he did to, to Dathan and Ibiram and the sons of Eliab, son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and their living, and the living and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel. For your eyes have seen the great work of the Lord and all that He did. 
So family, the point being is, is you and I are to keep watch over all our lives. So that over all our lives, we constantly see that God was good here. And God was good here. And oh, this was a, dis- this was a discipline in my life, but oh, how God took me through this. Oh, what a learning experience this was. Oh, I'm a better man for this because of this. And so on, as we see God and His goodness all throughout our lives, His disciplining work makes us and prepares us for holiness. David wanted God's discipline. Later in Psalms 94.12, he even tells us a man is blessed. It's our word for happy. Remember, we've talked about it the last two weeks when disciplined by the Lord. But what he's asking for here when he says, not in your wrath, he is asking that the discipline he is undergoing be tempered by God's grace. And so family, there are times when our experiences are so overwhelming, we don't know what we can and cannot handle. There are moments when we feel like we've been taken to the limit. Job knew that thought. He said in Job 14.13, Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol. For a period of time, just consider me dead. Set me over here. That you would conceal me until your wrath be passed. That you would appoint me a set time and remember me. In other words, Lord, this is so overwhelming to me. Just treat me like a dead guy until this is all over. Then bring me out and and we'll discuss it. So David asked God to teach him. So family, I want you to see in the first three verses a sense in which David is simply overwhelmed. Now he's going to come and continue in his prayer and express an idea, and I want to suggest to you that idea is underheard. I'm not saying that, that God's not listening, but it's the expression that David's using. You and I have always said that there are periods of time in your life that you didn't feel your prayers rise any higher than the ceilings. There were times in your life that you wondered if God was listening or God was hearing Your hurts were so deep that was as if they just simply revolved around in your own head and went nowhere. That's how David is expressing himself. When our emotions push us into this field, there are times that we ask, is God really loving us? Why would He be silent and let me suffer so deeply? I want you to listen to verses 4 through 7. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my tears, or my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. 
Family, do you ever pray expecting God to more completely answer His efforts on your prayers than He did? You remind Him of all the things that you expect of Him that didn't seem to come out and didn't seem to turn out well? If you haven't, I have. And I just seem to follow the same path of David. So again, if you haven't, King David and I have. And let me suggest to you it goes along this way. It starts with plead. Lord, don't you know you promised? Deliver me! Deliver me! Take this away! I'm supposed to be the one that chapter 1 talks about. I'm the, I'm the tree that's in the nourishing water. I'm, I'm the tree that can handle the tough times because you're watching over me and, and you're not doing that now. He goes on and his pleading. David wants to know that, that God is coming through with his experiences of loving kindness and tender mercy. But what he's receiving is brutality. And so he turns his strategy, as I might, I pout. So listen to what he says. He reminds him, you know, if I'm dead, no one, no one, will, no one will hear praise. I, I won't be able to say anything. And remember, Lord, I'm the, I'm the loud one in the congregation. I'm the one that Facebook Live says that they hear me when we sing. And Lord, if I'm dead, you're not going to get any of that stuff. And David says the same thing. Finally, I simply express my personal pity. My throat hurts from crying. My tears soak the bed. My eyes burn. David's enemies that he normally defeats crush him now. And he so He's so deep in depression, only God can fix. And family, if we're honest this morning, many of us have expressed prayers that are so deep in despair that this statement is accurate. You're telling God that emotionally, physically, spiritually, you're near the end. Now, I want you to hear me out this morning. If your prayers end here, and you put amen here, I want to suggest to you, you will always struggle whether God loves you. You will always struggle believing that God has power over your experience. And you will always struggle accepting that your experiences in life 
where God's good for you. And that's not where God stops. That's not where David stops. I want you to hear how he closes his prayer. He closes his prayer with the concept of being ever faithful. So David can say in verses 8 through 10, Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So I want you to see the text here. Verse 8, depart from me, all you workers of evil. Come to verse 10. All my enemies shall be ashamed. And that's in the future still. And greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So family, what I want you to see in this prayer is David still doesn't see. David still doesn't feel God, but he has confidence that God sees and is acting on his behalf. And you see that in three strong statements. The Lord heard my weeping. He knows just how bad this experience is for me. The Lord heard my plea. He knows exactly what I'm praying for. He knows exactly what I'm communicating to Him. He heard me. And third, the Lord accepts my prayer. And he could look in the midst of his pain and simply knows, you know, this is going to turn. This is going to turn. And God's got a right conclusion. And I'm going to wait and sit on that same concept. Family, there are days that the calendar should be good, and yet you are not in a place that is good. I want to suggest to you, that's exactly how we see the very end of the Gospels. If I could take you first to the garden, what did, what did Jesus pray? Don't let this cup, don't let this cup fall on me. Please, Lord, don't let me see your wrath. Remove it. If you will, deliver me. Family, let me come to the underheard. Jesus Christ is nailed to the cross. And for me personally, one of the, the great statements of the cross is, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the, the very God-man, the radiance of the Father, the exact imprint, the exact image of the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, could look up and say, Lord, where are you? 
And yet, he could close that moment with a triumphal statement. It is finished. So family, let me remind you of of two great privileges this morning. The first is this. You have a high priest who always knows your experiences, your hurts, and your overwhelming fears. And he went through them just like you. And secondly, because he went through them, and in fairness, far more intently, he provided you and I with a way of salvation in that acute suffering that you and I can come here today and simply praise God for the gift of salvation. And if any of you are here today and you know nothing about that gift, you're not fully aware, understand that Jesus Christ went to the cross and became our substitute. He was the one who said, Lord, I don't want to do this. I don't want to stand and face you. When He faced the Father, He was actually taking your and my sin. And you and I have to come to the point where you and I understand, we recognize we're sinners, and we accept the idea that only by knowing and believing in Jesus Christ and the work that He did, could we then have a relationship that like David called it steadfast love, you and I would know as the gift of salvation. And we believe that truth. And we commit our lives to the truth of that statement. And we recognize that Jesus Christ died for for our sins. We internalize it. We ask Jesus Christ to be our personal Savior. Not only is it a theological idea, but now it is a personal truth. Jesus Christ is my Savior because I wanted that work and its sufficiency. And so family, as we see Psalm 6, we see something that we can identify with. We have a psalm of preparation for a broken heart and that broken heart will come someday and in some experience. But we also have in Psalm 6 the foundation laid that we have the eternal confidence that we have a Savior who provides all that's necessary in life to satisfy our broken hearts with an eternal reminder of relationship with Him. And so family, let me, let me rejoice with you today on Mother's Day. We have it all. We have everything we need in this life. We don't need one more government check to make us happy. Do we? Matter of fact, some of us need jobs and not any more government checks. See, we don't need one more thing in this world to make us happy, do we? 
We've got brothers and sisters who've had all of their things removed from them. But the thing that gives us confidence in life is the meaning and purpose of a relationship with Jesus Christ that's unchanged, that's permanent, that is bound in His promises. And no matter what we can go through, we can remember the Lord heard, the Lord heard, and the Lord accepts. And in you and I, in enjoying today, we need to remember our enjoyment is in the Lord. Father in heaven, I pray today first for anyone who is in Mother's Day on the wrong day. Dear God, be with, be with our church family today where this day might bring about memory of hurt and past and pain that doesn't provide celebration. Father, I pray that you'd, you'd be with family today who may be in the experience that's not celebratory. And Father in heaven, I would pray that you would remind them afresh that you give them the wherewithal and the confidence that you hear and you accept. And as time unfolds, dear God, the awareness of your goodness will be evidential either here or in glory. Father in heaven, I would pray for those of us who see the plan as a plan of attack to the future. So that, dear God, I would pray that you would be with us, that we can set aside this psalm, waiting for the day that life turns on us. That, dear God, the hurt that will be overwhelming will already be equipped with an overcoming reminder of the great God that we serve. And Father in heaven, allow our time in worship together to be something far more than a moment that we check off the calendar of responsibility. But a reminder, dear God, that we together with one another who identify as Christ followers thanked a Redeemer who offered us salvation full and free and gave us purpose and meaning in a world that lacks it. We thank You for Your goodness today, dear God. We thank You that You gave purpose to every female who shares the responsibility of being in Your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.